Hi, it's Jeff, host of the podcast. Imagine a world where planning your books is as fun as writing them, where plotters plot in heroic harmony and pantsers organize without overwhelm. Here's the thing, that world exists. Plotters and pantsers alike love the visual outlining and story Bible software Plotter, now available both online and as a web app. Named the number one outlining app for productivity by Kindlepreneur, Plotter turns outlining and organizing your books into the creative process it's supposed to Visit plotter.com slash rw today. That's p-l-o-t-t-r dot com slash rw today. And experience the difference yourself. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is writer Ryan Rose. After 700 plus episodes of this podcast, I think this one is a first. Ryan's debut novel hasn't been published yet, and to date, he does not have a publishing contract. Uh, And in fact, I don't think it has even been submitted to publishers yet. Um, I've been a longtime user of Twitter, and I follow and interact with a number of writers and authors on Twitter, including previous guests of the show, and I see a lot of writing-related tweets. And somehow in my timeline on Twitter, I noticed a tweet that Ryan wrote on November 16th of of this year. Um, And Ryan's tweet read, after 10 years, six books, and 500 plus rejections, I quit my job and pantsed a 140K or 140,000 word epic fantasy in 10 weeks. It was a wild mess of food, kaiju, and magic. But as of today, about six months later, I'm proud to say my seventh book and me are represented by Harry Illingworth at DHH Literary Agency in London. Um, Since many of the listeners of this podcast are people who are working hard to break in and sell their first short story or novel, I thought it would be great to talk to Ryan about his writing experiences and securing an agent. So I reached out to him on Twitter, and now here he is. And Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, first, I'm sure you'll probably be doing edits and revisions of your novel before submission, but do you want to tell us a little bit about the novel, which is um, currently titled Seven Recipes for Revolution? Yeah, so uh, Seven Recipes for Revolution, or Seven Recipes is what I often call it, um, is epic fantasy that's centered around a magical food system. Um, so in this society, uh, there are these giant kaiju, um, that kind of rampage around the country or used to, um, in the, at the start of the book, it's been about 300 years since, um, society has kind of captured these kaiju and started factory farming them for the meat that they, um, have on their bodies. And, um, our main character, Paprik, uh, is starts out as a butcher. He cuts off um, the meat from the kaiju under you know great risk, um, and in a tremendously bad society of exploitation. Um, and the purpose of that is that the meat goes to kind of the elite in the society who use it to create magical meals that give them more power over um, 
what are called the common, the people that Paprick uh, is part of. Um, and the narrative kind of follows Paprick as he becomes um, a chef as a part of a revolution where he's stealing this meat um, and producing his own recipes. And uh, from, from there, it just turns into a lot of chaos and a lot of anger um, and hopefully a lot of fun. That's great. And I'm curious, do you envision this as the first book in a series or is it a standalone fantasy? Have you given that any thought? Yeah, the the current plan is for a trilogy. Um, that's kind of where my agent and I are at right now. Uh, once we go on submission, things can change. It it definitely works as a standalone, um, but we both feel strongly that there's more to this story that we can hopefully tell. Sure. Well, it definitely sounds like a, a, a unique concept. I'll say that. You had written previous novels, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But do you remember the impetus or the idea that led you to sit down and write seven recipes for revolution? Yeah. Um, so it, it was kind of a, a combination of two things in my life. Um, the first is that I was reading a truly brilliant um, science fiction novel by Essa Hansen. It's called Nothic Gloss. Um, and in in that story, um, there's this kind of brain material that is used by society from inside these very dangerous um, creatures to power starships. And I, I remember reading that and seeing how that kind of centers in that novel and thinking that that was so cool to to kind of comment on how we as human beings and like advanced species use the pieces of other um, other species to you know advance the things that we want to do. And in Nothic Gloss, you know, the idea was traveling the stars. Um, and kind of the second thing that really came to me was um, I I knew that my previous novel was going to kind of die in the quarry trenches. Um, I'd had several full requests, but a lot of, this is really weird. We don't know where it fits in the market. Um, you're, you're a great writer, but this is just, it's weird. And I was like, well, you know, that's kind of who I am. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I, was, I was kind of leaving that stage and I was like, I'm, I really want to write something new. I was reading this book and I just thought, what would a society that factory farmed kaiju look like what could what would be the purpose of that what would they use it for um and by like the next weekend i just could not get this out of my mind thinking about food which i love um i'm a huge cook um uh, <laughs> and um i was just like well maybe they're eating it you know and from there um I had an opportunity. I, I knew I was going to be moving in about four months. Um, and I th I figured, you know, maybe I'll just end my current position a little bit early and see how much I can get done. I was a, I was a pretty extensive plotter um, leading up to this. I had never written, I've never pantsed anything. Um, I had, you know, Excel sheets with thousands and thousands of words before I ever wrote anything. But the time frame really pushed me to be like, well, let's just see what happens. Maybe I'll get something done that I can revise later or at least find the voice. Um, and I ended my position early and uh, just just sat down. And I'm curious, was it the was it the time frame and the kind of like time crunch that led you to 
move away from the Excel spreadsheets and go to just kind of diving into the narrative and seeing where it take you, takes you? I, I think it was a little bit, but I... Uh, I described this to someone who commented, like, why did you write it so fast? Why um, why not take your time? Uh, with my six previous books, I I really approached them as a an endeavor to write a book. And with this one, I, I didn't think, based on the idea that I had, that there was any possibility of me writing a book this long. And I, I kind of knew going in that it was going to have to be somewhere between 130 and 150 thousand words. Um, I was like, there's no chance I'm going to write that in four months. It took me two months. It took me two years to write the previous book, which was 120,000. Um, so I was like, I'm not going to finish. I might as well just see what it feels like. Um, and then once I started writing and I found Paprick's voice, um, I, I was like a man possessed. I, um, I was writing four to 6,000 words a day. Um, compared to if I used to manage, you know, th- 3000 in a week, that was a good week. Um, and once, once I kind of hit 30 to 40,000 words somewhere in there, I just knew that there was a shot that I could finish this. And wouldn't that just be so great if I could go start this new, um, this new experience that I was moving towards and not have to worry about writing because I could send it off to beta readers and they could tell me how bad it was and <laughs> all of this. Um, so I kind of put the uh, put the gas pedal to the floor and really took a shot at finishing it. And and I'm curious, did it did it intimidate you at all? Given that you had written with a, a strong outline to um, to then just kind of dive into the narrative, or was it just a process of of um, uh, kind of as you said, kind of finding the voice of your your character? Yeah, I. Um... It, it really was freeing, I think, in a way. Um, you know, it's it's hard to look in retrospect and, and say, was I limiting myself by outlining? Was I, you know, cutting off creative avenues that I could have taken um, those stories down? But that's definitely how I felt when I was writing this one. I would get to a point and I'd be like, okay, what happens next? And, you know, some wild idea would just pop into my head and I would I would sit there and I'd think, well, what actually would the rest of this book look like if we did that? Um, and yeah, half of those ideas I, I tucked away and said, that's probably not where I want to get. Cause mm-hmm. I did have, I had some idea of where I wanted things to go. Um, but some of the things that happen in this book and kind of the hard left turns and the hard choices that Patrick has to make, I think are, um, fully, uh, fully come from the fact that I didn't plan anything and I think it makes it better. And I'm curious, given the fact that you talked about your main character's voice, is it written in first person or, or what's the point of view? So, uh, it's a frame story, um, meaning that there's kind of a present day situation where Paprick, um, he is a prisoner of a society, um, in a jail cell. Uh, trying to defend his right to live um, that is in third person. And then um, part of the kind of circumstance uh, is that he gets to defend himself and kind of give his testimony of what took place. And uh, all of that is told in first person. So about 85% of the novel is first person. Got it. Well, 
in your in your tweet that I uh, read um, at the top of the the show that that kind of caught my eye, you mentioned your writing journey of ten years, six books, and five hundred plus rejections, which um, did not result in a publication, and it sounds like did not result in in a literary agent either. I'm curious if we can go back to the beginning. What initially motivated you to sit down and write your first novel or your first short story? When I was a um, junior in high school um, in in the States, I had a history teacher that um, kind of gave us an assignment to write an alternate history of a country that we were assigned. Um, And I was assigned Columbia, and I did a lot of research into Columbia um, and, you know, ended up writing this alternate history. It was supposed to be like a two or three page paper. but I ended up writing like 30 pages and gave it to my teacher. And he was like, this is, I'm not reading this. I'm just going to give you an A, but I don't have time to read this plus 150 other um, three page submissions. Um, And I, I was a little stung by that. It was the first time a teacher had been like, Oh, oh, I'm not going to read that. Like, here's an A. I was like, well, you don't, it could be trash. Like I could have just written, you know, 30 pages of nonsense words. Um, and um, I'd always been an avid reader, um, especially sci-fi and fantasy. And I, I thought about how hard it must be to get that kind of um, experience in the real world if you'd written a whole book. And I was like, well, that obviously would never happen to me because I'm such a great student and a great person. And if I write a book, I'm going to be great at it and it's going to get published. Um, <laughs> of course, uh <laughs> I was extremely naive and a bit arrogant. Um, but I, I started thinking, what would I write if I wanted to write a book? What would that look like? Um, and I kind of just ripped off the things that I was reading at the time. Um, didn't get very far into anything. I didn't know structure. I didn't know plot. I, you know, I could, I could only rewrite the Hunger Games like three different ways before I was like, okay, <laughs> I need to learn something. Um, so I, I wrote a lot of bad stuff for like a like two years, and I don't actually include that in my ten year journey. Um, well, it was more like twelve years. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's actually closer to fourteen because sure. the fr- the first book took two years to write before the quarry trenches happened. Um, so my first book, though, um, like many people in um, the early 2010s, I was hooked on Game of Thrones. Um, I watched every Sunday. Um, by the time the third season was coming out, I had read all the books um, because I, would, I had to jump ahead in the story. And um, I knew it was tremendously unlikely that I could write anything like Game of Thrones. But I was so heavily influenced by the multiple p- points of view and... Um, you know, certain characters like Arya, especially, um, that I thought, what if I did a young adult version of Game of Thrones? Um, and that became my first book. Uh, it is deeply flawed. Um, I will never, uh, I will probably never revisit that book as it's written. Um, but it was the first one that I queried and, um, the first kind of step into what would later become the 500 plus rejections. And can you tell us about that? Do you do you remember your first submission and was it to a literary agency or did you do any direct submissions to publishers along the way? 
Yeah, uh, it's it's actually funny. My first ever submission was um, a query to Jim McCarthy. Um, I had read about him in a book and um, found his website online um, and saw that he had a good reputation from um, uh, a forum that I was on, which was called Absolute Right. And uh, I submitted to him and I was so confident that my query letter was going to get a a request. And um, within, I think, three hours, I had my first rejection. Um, And, you know, I had read that it was likely that you would get rejections. So I just started going out to everyone. Um, Over over the 10 years, uh, I've submitted two books directly to publishers um, that, you know, got feedback and got a lot of um, very nice kind words. But I was, I kind of always knew from the beginning that I wanted to be agented Mm -hmm. um, and wanted to pursue traditional publishing. And and I'm curious about that um, because, you know, obviously I've interviewed some indie um, writers or uh, people who've indie published um, and, and, um, and I think that's certainly a worthwhile um, uh, avenue for for many people. But I'm curious, what what was it in terms of your decision making that you were like, I want to be traditionally published and I want to have an agent? Um, I think a lot of it was not knowing what it looked like. Um, I <laughs> evidenced by my million page outlines. I. Uh, I fear the unknown and um, self-publishing was so daunting to me with, you know, having to learn about marketing and having to develop my own fan base um, through Twitter and, you know, other social media. Um, whereas traditional publishing, um, the you know, hand-holding is not quite the right word, but everything is, um, you know, formulaic and... Um, I knew if I got an agent, the agent would walk me through the submission process. And then if I was sold on submission, I would have an editor and they would help me refine my book and make it better. And, um, you know, follow all these steps to getting the book in someone's hand, which was my always my ultimate goal is I just wanted people to read my books. Um, whereas with self-published and indie publishing, um, I just didn't feel quite like I knew what I was going to need to do. And as someone who loves the writing a lot more than everything else, um, traditional publishing felt easier. Got it. And um, I'm curious, what what kept you going through um, what's now 14 years and six book manuscripts? Um, community. Uh, I, I mentioned early that I was on a forum called Absolute Right. Um, absolute rights still exists. Uh, there was a time when it went down for a while. Um, but on, on that kind of, um, platform, I learned how to write a query letter and I, I found my first beta readers, um, readers who I didn't know who were willing to give me feedback on what I'd written. Um, and kind of the generosity of these strangers to help me refine my query letter and to tell me, yes, the odds are stacked against you, but, um, you know, they had read my stuff and they felt confident that it would happen one day. Uh, you know, when I got to book five, um, and I got a lot of full requests on book five, um, 
actually more rec- full requests on book five than I ended up getting on seven recipes. Um, I, I felt like I had finally gotten through that with the help of the community. I had a query letter that was strong. I had first pages that were strong. Um, but uh, I reached, you know, kind of the end of the line on those. Uh, I think I think that book had 13 full request rejections. And most of them were along the lines of, this is just a hard sell. And um, that was the point where I kind of hit my hit my lowest of like, well, if I can write really well and you want to read this story based on the query letter and, you know, the first 50 pages are strong enough to get a full request, like, where am I failing? What am I doing wrong? Um, and my, you know, friends in the writing community kept reassuring me that it's, you know, it's, it's not me, it's them kind of thing. Uh, and I was like, okay, fine. I'll believe you this once. And then my sixth book did awfully on on query. Um, I think I got two or three full requests out of nearly 80 queries. Um, and, you know, having seen that I had this upward trend, book one did worse than book two, book three did better than book two. You know, mm-hmm. I, w- I was working up and up and up, and then I kind of fell off a cliff of, um, you know, reception. And all, you know, I, I very seriously considered quitting um, and, you know, thinking about maybe self-publishing instead or just coming back in 10 years once my brain had matured and my view of craft had matured and other such things. Um, but Sunny Dean, who is a good friend of mine, assured me that the reason that the book was not doing well was because it was very, it was very thoughtful, but not tremendously commercial um and that i had kind of gone a little too far into weird speculative elements i should i should return back to what was my bread and butter which is just (laughs) anger swords and magic (laughs) um and kind of tapped into the roots of things that inspired me like um red rising by pierce brown and the name of the wind by patrick rothfuss and um, Jen Lyons' whole body of work. I absolutely adore Jen Lyons' work. Um, and just write something that I was going to like and not necessarily what I thought agents would find unique. Um, and, you know, she convinced me that I was skilled enough to get, to get an agent. Um, and I think truly without Sunyi, I would not still be writing. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. That's great. 
that's that's a um, that's a good friend or, or an inspiration. And I, I should add that I met Sun Yi on Absolute Right way back in the day, like seven or eight years ago. So that's kind of how all that ties in. That's great. Um, I'm curious, what what were you learning about riding during those 14 years, do you think? Uh, I, I almost want to say, what haven't I learned at this point? Um, don't, <laughs> um, don't look at something in a book and think that that's what made it sell, um, I think was one thing I learned. Uh, I... I think like many writers um, who write epic fantasy looked at George R. R. Martin and thought that some of his success comes from just killing off characters that you love. Mm-hmm. And I made that mistake early in my writing. Um, and, you know, George R. R. Martin can say whatever George wants to say about what makes him successful. But I think it's, it, it's more to do with the politics and the realism in his fantasy world than the fact that certain characters die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, so I learned that I learned a great deal about pacing. Um, my first few books were too fast. Um, you know, we were hitting the inciting incident, um, which is kind of something that comes from save the cat, mm-hmm. um, before page one. So we, I, I thought that if we dumped people straight into the action, they would be more invested. Um, but what, I got a lot of feedback I was on was like, this action seems really cool, but I don't care about your character. And, you know, I took that forward. And then um, I think the thing that really took me from an acquiring writer with a lot of potential to um, someone who's now represented by a fantastic agent was realizing that as much as the industry wants something unique. Um, it it wants something that is also commercially familiar. Um, a lot of my stuff tried too hard, I think, to to be different in different ways. I was playing with structure and at the same time character, or I was playing with setting and at the same time, um, you know, experimenting with this or that. Um, I don't think that's to say that seven recipes is very samey. I I truly don't believe that I've ever seen anything that's similar. Um, But Paprik at the end of the day is not going to be tremendously surprising or unfamiliar. Um, My setting will be hopefully like something no one's ever seen. And my plot structure will be familiar in hopefully the best tropey ways. Um, and I think this is the first book where I've done those things in a way that feels cohesive. That's great. And I'm curious, I just wanted to clarify, were you writing fantasy novels um, throughout this period? Of primarily fantasy novels, um, two science fiction novels. Um, and all kind of basically with protagonists that were between the ages of 16 and 20. Um so very kind of standard YA crossover material. Got it. Um, so, I mean, we've talked about this 14-year uh, process, 500-plus rejections, six uh, previous manuscripts before you sat down and, and wrote um, seven recipes. Um, I'm curious, given all of that, can you take us through the, the moment or the day that you heard from your agent 
that after um, reading the full manuscript that he wanted to represent you? Um, so, yeah, so it's it's actually interesting. Uh, I submitted on Friday, uh, the the weekend before Halloween, um, and uh, just a query and the first three chapters. And um, later that day, I got the full request from Harry saying, I've never read anything like this. This is really cool. I want to keep reading. And um, I think it was my fastest full request that I've ever received um, throughout the process, which I, <laughs> I texted a friend um, who's another writer who's been on submission for three years. Uh, and I said, um, I think I'm inviting some disappointment into my life, but this is the <laughs> fastest anyone's ever wanted to read something for me. Like, should I feel hope? And he was like, yeah, you should feel hope. And I was like, okay, I'm absolutely not going to feel hope. <laughs> um, and uh, it was either Sunday night or Monday morning. Um, Harry, Harry being, um, who's my agent, uh, being in the UK, he was five hours ahead of me. So I woke up to um, an email saying, I've only read about 60% of the novels, but uh, 60% of the novel, but I want to talk to you as soon as possible. I want to schedule a call so we can talk about an offer. And um, I remember thinking to myself, who is this crazy man who wants to offer me representation before he's even finished the thing? Um, what if the ending's awful? What if he hates it? Um, but uh, that was thing that was a uh, Halloween morning. And um I quickly tweeted that Halloween would become my favorite holiday ever if if my day went the way I thought it was going to. Um, because of time zone stuff and schedule, I didn't end up um, getting on that call until Wednesday. Um, so just as a just as a backtrack here, this is three business days after um, <laughs> querying. And um, on the call, Harry offered me representation. He told me that he had, in fact, finished the book, <laughs> um, which I was concerned about, um, and that he did really enjoy the ending. Um, and then we kind of talked about what his view for it was and why he thought um, I should sign with him over what he assumed would be other people who wanted to sign me. Um, and um, then two weeks later, after, you know, kind of following the standard protocol of uh, reaching out to other people that I had queried on that Friday, um, I did end up um, signing with Harry because of kind of his passion. I mean, his his plan was amazing, but uh, not too dissimilar from others. But um, his, his passion, the fact that he knew so early, really um, endeared him to me. And then you know, his, his record speaks for itself. So that only helped me choose him. That's great. And I'm curious when you did the protocol of contacting other people that you had submitted it to, did anyone else, um, offer you representation? Um, so I had two different agents tell me that, um, they would have offered if they didn't feel like they had to compete. Um, and, um, Every, so every agent that requested for me, uh, full transparency, said this book is a mess. Um, as I as I said in my tweet, um, it needs a lot of work. It needs a lot of refining. Um, you're doing things that no one's ever done before, and that's confusing to the reader. Um, so we have to figure that out. Um, and several of them said that was a, a little bit too much work, but they knew for what they had on their list. But they knew that that would be a success for me in the end. Um, so I only got the one like true offer, um, but I had several 
kind of would have offered situations. Got it. Well, I I noticed on your Twitter profile when I was glancing at your Twitter profile that there's a link there for a Patreon for some Dungeons and Dragons content. What what is that? Yeah. Um, so I am the managing editor of a Dungeons and Dragons third party um, kind of group called Portent Press. Uh, we produce um, you know third party content for Dungeons and Dragons. So if you enjoy playing a cleric, but none of the um, things that Wizards of the Coast, which is the company that publishes Dungeons and Dragons, has made for the cleric, really um, fits into your game. Uh, we have content that hopefully would. Or if you are a dungeon master, um, the kind of person who runs the game for your friends, um, and you need additional monsters because your your uh, your story dictates it, or your players know everything in the book that Wizards of the Coast sells already, um, you you can come to us. Um, we create free content um, every week of the year that we put out because we we love Dungeons and Dragons and we love um, helping what's called the homebrew community fill out all of the millions of spaces that narrative allows for. Um, but we also do make some private um, things that we sell to our patrons, um, including you know uh, full-scale books of spells and monsters and things like that. Cool. Um, and I'm assuming by that that the, the you play D&D? <laughs> not as much as you would hope um mm-hmm. I, I i do try to play um often but um i have been playing dungeons and dragons for a very long time and there was a certain point where i found like many dungeon masters that the content that was available wasn't enough mm-hmm. um and started learning the the skills to to make my own and then very similar to the writing community i developed a community of homebrew friends, um, D&D friends. And um, in 2020, uh, we decided to kind of form together and form a group that uh, eventually started producing content in 2022. Cool. Well, um, I'm curious about the process thus far with your literary representation. Some agents are different. Some agents give extensive editorial feedback prior to submission while some other agents will take a manuscript and begin the submission process fairly quickly. How has it been for you so far? Yeah. Um, so the moment I signed with Harry, uh, he sent me a, an email saying, here are my notes. Um, and it was a five-page edit letter um, that was mostly focused around clarity. Um, we talked a lot on our original call um, about what he viewed as the editorial needs for this book and uh, about 80% of them where you're doing things that no one's done before. It's confusing. How can you explain what this means, how this works? Um, and uh, that was about three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Um, and, you know, he had kind of teased that a little bit during our call. So I knew what to expect. Um, and when I got his edit letter, I had already started planning how I wanted to address clarity in the novel. His um, his feedback was uh, kind of instrumental in pointing to a few specifics. And um, I did what I tend to always do with this book, apparently, which is uh, spend all of my time on it. Um, and I revised the entire thing in about um, 10 days. Uh, 
I ended up cutting about 9,000 words and adding another 4,000 back in um, and uh, kind of surprised Harry, who was expecting something in January, um, 10 days <laughs> later with a fully revised novel that I, the, dis, despite how quick it was, feel very confident in. Um, and he is currently reading. Um, it, the hope is that there will just be a few small tweaks that we need to make before we can go on submission. That's great. Um, I'm curious, have you started thinking about or planning the second novel? Um, I do know where the trilogy goes if it uh, if it goes that way, but um, I won't be outlining it. Um, I have found a lot of comfort in the pantsing process, um, which if you had told me a year ago that I was going to be on a podcast talking about why I wanted to pants <laughs> a, the second book in a trilogy, I would have laughed. Um, but um, I, yeah, I, I know where it goes. I know how it ends. Um, but the, the process of getting there and some of the turns I think that I'm going to throw out of left field will be a surprise to me until they happen. That's great. Well, I'm curious, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels? The most important thing, uh, is to build a community, which it's so daunting. Um, I am an introvert, um, the idea of, you know, kind of finding friends is horrifying. Um, <laughs> I can make a lot of jokes partially as a deflection for that. Um, but, um, you know, Sunyi, who I mentioned earlier, um, her book, by the way, I'm just going to plug, is The Book Eaters. It's brilliant. Um, she has introduced me to some really incredible writers um, like Wayne Santos and eventually Essa Hansen, um, whose book Nothic Gloss inspired Seven Recipes. Um, and, you know, several of the people that I've met through her have um, been kind enough to beta read for me, um, kind of adjacent to that. Other people that I've met along the way who I've commiserated with um, on Twitter or um you know, at, uh, various writing, um, conventions have, have become beta readers for me and friends for me. Um, in fact, pretty much my best friend, uh, who I text every day is a fellow writer who's, um, on, been on submission for a long time. Um, who he writes middle grade. We just met randomly at a conference and, uh, we talked a lot about why we write and who we write for and things like that. Um, all of them read for me and all of them point out my flaws. And without them to do that, I would be back with my first um, Game of Thrones ripoff book with all of these flaws. Um, because in fact, I did not have a single beta reader for that who wasn't, who, who knew anything about writing. You know, um, my girlfriend at the time read it and, um, you know, two of my friends read it and that was it. And they were like, it's cool. I like the world, you know? <laughs> um, whereas uh, my my best friend, Brendan, he will be like, your character isn't as invested in this arc as you need him to be. And that, you know, speaks a lot more to me than the world is cool. Right. Um, so that's number one is uh, build community where you can and be vulnerable to do that. Um there, for every one person that I'm friends with now, there's probably 10 who never responded to me, who um, 
I agreed to do a beta swap for, which is like, you know, we both sent our manuscript and then I sent them notes and didn't get any back. Um, that happens a lot, unfortunately, in the community. Yeah. Um, you know, having that vulnerability. Uh, and then the second thing is you just got to read. You got to know who your influences are and who and why your, you know, why your voice can fit into that space. Um, if, if you can dream of sitting on a shelf next to someone, that's probably someone that you want to pay closer attention to why they, what they're doing. Um, Jen Lyons is kind of my person for that. Um, she writes frame story narratives with in fantasy. And, um, you know, when I sat down to write Seven Recipes for Revolution, I knew I kind of wanted to do a frame story. And um, I, I looked really hard at how she, how she structured and why she structured the way, it, um, the way she did in her first book, The Ruin of Kings. That's great. Well, on that note, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? Um, yeah, so I, as you can imagine, I'm a big sci-fi and fantasy reader. Um, one of the longest running series that I've been invested in since the beginning is Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn series, um, which just concluded its seventh novel. I read that earlier this month. Um, I read The First Binding, which is another frame story kind of in the vein of um, The Name of the Wind and similar stories uh, that by R.R. R. Verdi. That is fantastic. It is a dwarf sop. It will take time, but there's like, I wish I could do what Verdi does with, um, you know, layering meaning underneath his prose and writing so poetically. Um, I'm currently on a little bit of a mystery kick. Uh, I'm looking forward to the movie Glass Onion. Um, as a huge Knives Out fan, so I'm reading two mysteries right now. One is The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, uh, which is kind of famous as I understand it, and I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, and then this morning I started reading um, just another mystery called Arsenic and Adobo, um, by Pia Manansala, um, which is a cooking-related fantasy, of which, um, you know, my book being about food <laughs> was an obvious <laughs> interest point for me um, and kind of touches a lot on Filipino culture. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your writing? Primarily Twitter. Um, I'm at Ryan P. Rose or Ryan Prose, if you want to poke into my little pun there. Um, and um, I'm also on Instagram. I don't really use that for much book-related stuff, um, but I'm at Real Ryan Prose on Instagram. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I'm not so much on Absolute Right anymore, um, but I definitely encourage people to look into Absolute Right and the community there. That's great. Well, when the book is hopefully purchased seven recipes for revolution by a publisher and you have a publishing date, um, I'd love to have you come back and talk about the publishing process. Um, if you're amenable to that, I'd be absolutely thrilled. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Ryan Rose about his landing a literary agent after writing for 14 years and many manuscripts. And Ryan, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks for having me. It's a true pleasure. Absolutely.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.